Welcome to a special 58th New York Film Festival edition of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Today, NYFF programmer Florence Almozini is joined by director Shatanya Tamani to discuss The Disciple, the Indian filmmaker's much-anticipated follow-up to Court. The Disciple is a finely crafted labor of love set in the world of Hindustani classical music, starring singer and remarkable first-time actor Aditya Modak as a man living in Mumbai who tries to follow in the footsteps of his father and become a maestro in the Kayal Rag music tradition. Learn more about drive-in and nationwide virtual tickets at filmlink.org. Let's go to the conversation now. Thank you for listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Make sure you don't miss a thing by subscribing to the Film at Lincoln Center newsletter featuring weekly programming updates, new podcast episodes, special offers, and much more. Visit filmlink.org news. Thank you so much. I hope you uh, enjoyed this, uh, this screening and you were just as moved uh, as we were about uh, this, this movie. So we're going to now discuss with the director. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, some questions, which I hope you will be able to discuss uh, with a lot of details. Um, so it, it's something that you mentioned at the introduction. Um, you didn't know much about the world of uh, this classical music, which is uh, Kayal. Uh, I certainly did not know more than you did, but um, it's also, it's true, it's a search for a, a quest for perfection. So anyone who's ever wanted to do anything in the art or pretty much anything in life could relate to. Uh, but however, the topic is very interesting. So can you talk about why you decided to choose that specific like uh, Indian music and are you go you went into like doing all the research to find the, the perfect songs and uh, all the songs that you use in the film right so this film is actually uh, a spiritual adaptation of a play I had written when I was like 2021 called Grey Elephants in Denmark which was a story of a magician you know, so nothing to do with music, but the core essence, the core themes that I was exploring are similar. So this is like a grown-up version of that play. Uh, in the case of Indian classical music, my entry point was like all the stories, the anecdotes that I had heard, you know, about crazy geniuses and eccentric characters uh, that surround this world. And also just the music itself is extremely powerful, which is something that I kind of discovered as I started listening to more music. Uh, so, but yeah, so the stories is what kind of enticed me in the beginning. And uh, also it has such a rich history, you know, and it's one of those, like, I would say few things that's like a true gift from Indian uh, culture to the world in a way, uh, you know, so that's how I started researching. I started reading a lot of books. I started watching all kinds of documentaries about this subject. I started interviewing musicians. I started traveling, uh, you know, across the country to find musicians to talk to and started attending lots of concerts and then the plot the story uh, the characters kind of emerged from that research it was a long process it took me about two years to to get a script in place but it was a truly joyous journey of discovery in that sense because you you know that's when you also start understanding and realizing that 
the ethos uh, is kind of universal you know the nuances the contradictions and the complexities some of them are very unique to the field but some of them are also very uh, you know common to other art forms and the struggles and insecurities that an artist in any other art form uh, would encounter mm-hmm. yeah that's true um so the so film is pretty much based, like the structure would be a two-part film. So you have to, the first part is really, you know, like the search and the hope and everything positive that you think is going to happen. And then the second part is really dealing with uh, compromises and, and basically dealing with life, uh, which is interesting because it doesn't eliminate the music at all. It's just like, what can you accept and how can you fulfill yourself and your destiny and your happiness? being like this. So can you talk a little bit about the structure and how you wanted to divide the, the two worlds that uh, the actor is dealing with? Right. I mean, one of the themes that I wanted to explore, and this was kind of my guideline, was the fading away of a dream. You know, because I realized what happens in life many times is the victories or the defeats are not absolute and sudden it's not always like you go either you make it to the olympics or no uh, or whether you like you know win the gold or you don't uh, what happens I, i i found was like your dreams kind of get chipped away at over time so that is something i wanted to explore and also the hope that youth brings you know the innocence and this world full of possibilities when you're younger so that is what i wanted to explore in the first chapter and then like you said what happens in the second chapter is that life happens you know nothing really happens uh, except that time has passed uh, the patronage for this music has changed the audiences have changed and uh, the character is not where he would like to be for many reasons external and internal so and we kind of try to translate that cinematically in many different ways through the lensing through the production design how the colors start you know getting more and more desaturated and also the music which becomes more restless trying to be more accessible trying to be more commercial but is kind of falling even more flat uh, and also the the physical transformation of the character and the city of mumbai you know starts closing in on him uh, if you see the bike rides in the first half are on empty roads where the world is you know open and full of possibilities but the first time you see him on a bike in the second chapter is like in the midst of traffic with the sun glaring in his eyes and these tall skyscrapers around him so yeah so that was kind of the core idea and the core structure of the film not just on a script level but also in terms of you know makeup costume production design cinematography we shot the first half on very like old school anamorphic lenses and the second half is shot on more like sharp digital modern looking lenses so we try to do that in, in many ways and so your observation is uh, i would say absolutely correct Well, you you touched a lot of things that I wanted to um, discuss a little bit more. Uh, first of all, it's like the casting uh, uh, Aditya Modak, which I believe is a first-time actor, but maybe was a musician. Um, um, yeah, so I was wondering, like, as a director and in your search for perfection, what were you looking for at first? Were you looking for an actor who could sing or maybe a musician who could act, which I think is a way it's very difficult. So you mm-hmm. kind of touch gold with, with him because he's 
he's a really great actor, but you can tell that he's also able to to follow the music and sing. Uh, unless you have amazing like uh, post production uh, <laughs> on this, so um, can you talk about how you cast him and and worked with him also through the physical transformation, which are uh, very subtle but very strong. It's, it's a perfect combination. Right. Well, thank you for for saying that. Yeah, the casting was the biggest challenge once I finished the script because my collaborators and my friends read the script and they were like, "It's great." except how are you going to cast for this you know not just the casting of sharad but also of guruji uh, because you know he, he's old and he's aging and he had to look a certain way so there were many many restrictions and requisites that we were working with for the casting they had to be able to sing they had to be able to speak in marathi they had to have an instinct for acting because they are delivering scripted lines they had to be able to undergo some kind of a physical transformation and be able to commit so much time that was required for the project so it was uh, it was a long process with lots and lots of auditions it took us a year before we finalized the the cast uh, and eventually it was still a le- leap of faith because we didn't know how these musicians who are facing the camera for the first time whether they'll be able to withstand the pressure of a real shoot with a you know 100 plus crew staring at them with lights in their faces and we say okay roll with a time crunch so but it all worked out and i had some experience with court of dealing with non professional actors but yes i must say we did try working with actors but we realized that this music is just too complex and too abstract for somebody to fake for the kind of grammar that i employ which is long continuous wide shots so we realize it's not going to happen uh, it's going to be easier to get musicians to act now when it comes to sharad's physical transformation or rather the transformation yes physicality is one part of it but what was more important was the psychological the internal transformation of the character and which is something that we really worked on you know i told aditya like listen we are going to help you with makeup and costume and you'll have a physical trainer who will help you you know lose some weight and put on some weight but that's not the main point the point is that you need to internally feel that uh, uh, you are that person who's had that journey and you need to fill in those gaps which we are not showing in the film and it's interesting because he's 31 he was 30 when he shot the film and he was playing somebody who's 23 24 in the first chapter and he's uh, playing someone who's 36 37 in the second chapter and then he's like 40 you know and he was that person at some point but he's neither of those people at this point in his life so it did require a lot of work and conversations and workshopping to to get there and i think he did a good, great job yeah. with it is great but, but were you shooting in uh did you shoot chronologically or did you go back and forth in the no, i mean we had to shoot all of chapter 1 at one go and chapter 2 and chapter 3 in another schedule i mean there was no way to do that given the uh, you know different physicalities that he had but no we didn't shoot it in order as much as i would have loved to we didn't shoot it chronologically it's just not possible in a city like mumbai when you're shooting on real locations <laughs> Uh, you also mentioned the use of music in the film, and, and it's true, like especially when he's on the scooter, the music around uh, change in two part in the in both parts. And in the first part, it's a lot of like you know the music is is singing and is listening to. Then you go to the beginning of the second part, which the music is just like strident and 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 
stressful, really. And then it goes back a little bit, you know, up and down. So I think the way you use the music in the film as well, like the music we see, but in the soundtrack also worked perfectly. So can you talk a little bit more about the process when working with the music? Yeah, I mean, it was a challenge, you know, like how do you depict and do justice to one medium via another medium? You know, music is its own thing, its own language, its own medium. And cinema is something else. So we were always sure that what we are trying to do here is cinema, where the music is part of the narrative. Uh, at the same time, we wanted to do justice to the, to the medium of music itself and not shortchange the experience of the viewer, not sort of rush them through or make the music tokenistic because this music is intrinsically abstract. Uh, it's got a deep relationship with time. You know, there's the concept of the composer performer who's composing in the moment as he or she goes along. So all these challenges were there and we had to sort of customize the music as per the strengths and weaknesses of the performers themselves, but also based on the context of the scene in which it's happening, you know, the dramatic context in which the music is going to unfold. And Khayal, the music form that, uh, you know, is depicted in the film, literally translates to the idea of a state of mind. So the composer performer is expressing their state of mind in that moment through the music. So we kind of use that for uh, dramatic purposes. And I had a great collaborator in the form of Anish Pradhan, who's a celebrated percussionist and historian who had lots of conversations and we kind of very meticulously planned the music in the film because what we realized is that even if the music is uh, being experienced in isolation in the context of a particular scene, it's also shaping the overall soundscape of the film as you go along. So we had to also kind of, you know, keep in mind the bigger picture that was being created. And we've played with that. We've played with the, the tuning of the Tanpura, which is the drone. Uh, we've used subtle tricks like for example, for the Guruji concerts, we've used a sarangi, which sounds much richer. It's a string instrument with, you know, its origins going back to Persia. But for Sharad, we use the harmonium and kind of, you know, we've, we've done little tricks in the mixing and the treatment of, of the music as well to communicate what the characters are feeling in the moment, you know. And sorry, one last point. Uh, we had to employ a lot of economy uh, to kind of give the feeling of having attended a whole piece or a concert, but doing it in a very short time. So we had to kind of go back to the, the techniques of masters who recorded these ragas on LP, you know, on LP records where within like a compressed structure of say a three, three and a half minute recording, they showed you all the different facets of the rag. So we, yeah, we had to, we had to work hard to, to get all of this right. Um, I think also the, the mise-en-scene, uh, the photography, the composition of the shot are really extraordinary. Uh, it, and I was really stricken how beautiful the film, the film was. So can you, you, you use a lot of like um, sort of uh, long shots, like you slowly uh, zoom in on the characters and, uh, and it, it, it brings you to the character in a very... Uh, 
detached but very intense way. And I really love like the way you work with the camera. So can, can you talk about the collaboration you had maybe with your, uh, I think your DP is uh, Michal Sobocinski? Yes, Michal Sobocinski, who's from Poland. And, uh, you know, he's like a third generation DP. His father shot, uh, you know, Kieślowski's films, Red, and his, his grandfather, uh, Witold Sobocinski, shot with Polanski and Wajda and like, you know, yeah. It's, it runs in his blood. Uh, and he, the thing is, Mihao had shot a lot of commercials in Mumbai. So he understood Mumbai as a city. He had seen the slums. He'd been to the fancy hotels. He understood the disparity of the city. He understood the light of the city and the chaos of the city. Uh, and, you know, you see the city is also an important character in the film. And there are three different time periods or four different time periods in the film. And we also had this idea, which I told you that the first half is more romantic, uh, more nostalgic. You've got those flashbacks going to the early 90s. So a lot of it was also about how I remember Mumbai, you know, the city that I grew up in, which has changed quite a lot since then, you know, and it and it kind of became the foundation of how we shoot the sequences in the film, including the production design, including uh, the costumes and the colors that you see. Um, because there was this idea of the film being very subjective, very romantic, very textured at times. And other times the absence of those elements accentuating the, the narrative where uh, the universe surrounds around Sharad, you know, he's at the center of the universe in his head. And then you start seeing Sharad as one of many people, you know, he's not being able to stand out. So all of this had to be, communicated uh, through the cinematography and through the the lighting of the film so yeah there are, I, I would say there are many layers in the film and there were many different ways we could approach it but we we, we thought that okay the best way to go about this is to to tackle one sequence one scene at a time and to do justice to it you know and interpret it in a particular way yeah thank you um, there's a uh, so question, it's a little bit related to the film, but mostly to you as a director, because I read that you had a mentorship with uh, Afonso Cuaron. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not sure when it happened in your life, I think after court, but before this film, and it was maybe mm-hmm. a year long. So can you talk a little bit about if I changed uh, the way you approach cinema and the way you wanted to work? You were, I mean, you already made films and you already knew what you wanted, but I you may have changed a little bit the way you approach the medium too. So could you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So basically I met Alfonso because of the Rolex Mentor Protégé Arts Initiative. It's a program by Rolex where they pair an upcoming artist with a master of the discipline. And this happens across many different disciplines like music, architecture, film. So that's how I met Alfonso. I was lucky enough to be chosen as his protege. And then I got to see him at work on the sets of Roma. I was there during the post-production of Roma. And that's where our friendship kind of started. I mean, he's generous enough to call me his friend. And it's a relationship that's developed over four years, which finally kind of culminated in him officially associating with the disciple and being an executive producer on the film. And yes, I got to learn a lot from him, except I can't really quantify it. I I will have to admit that it's going to probably take me years and years to fully process and comprehend, you know, everything that I learned from him, because it was not just seeing him at work, but also seeing his collaborators at work and, you know, work of such uh, with such high degree of finesse and, you know, high standards. 
and also the conversations we had about you know cinema about life about a filmmaker's life so i can say that truly uh, you know uh, getting to know him and his approach to films expanded my vocabulary as a filmmaker i mean he's a sorcerer in many many ways you know the kind of control he has over the medium when it comes to image when it comes to sound when it comes to using vfx to tell the narrative not just the the harry potter and gravity kind of stuff uh, it was like you know awe inspiring and i was like how do you know everything about everything so well so yes definitely uh, it has changed my approach to cinema it's made me more ambitious it's made me even more of a control freak than i was and uh, he's he's kind of taught me to be fearless and to have a, you know a big vision a bigger vision and never settle for less well i guess that was a that was a good thing for you <laughs> you seem very absolutely <laughs> absolutely um I wanted to go back to the film and ask a question. I don't know if you are willing to answer, but um, the end of the film can be, you know, read in many different ways, depending on how you see the film as optimistic, pessimistic, or, and without telling us exactly what we need to think, can you discuss a little bit more, like, um, the process about shooting the end? So, I mean, I can tell you one fun thing that i didn't start writing the script for the longest time because i didn't have the ending you know as like how can i start writing if i don't have my entire story and all the pieces together so i but i didn't and i got frustrated enough to like start writing without knowing a lot of the details and uh, so i remember the day i finished the script i finished the script at 6:30 a.m in the morning and i wrote the end and i thought of that idea that end at 5:30 that morning you know and uh, it wasn't really new i had seen people go through similar uh you know patterns i had while i was researching i had encountered people who had uh, adapted in a similar way but it just something that struck me in that moment and it all came together as i was about to write the last scene um and i was very clear from the beginning in my intent even though i didn't have this exact ending that i don't want to indulge in extremes because that's not how life works for most of us extreme success extreme failure and for me it also became an exploration of what are the values that are actually important to you you know where is that uh, sort of golden mean between wanting to be individualistic wanting to be successful wanting worldly fame and worldly recognition and you know some kind of inner peace knowing your priorities in terms of your loved ones what really matters to you so you're right i'm not going to really reveal what the end is supposed to be because then it's no fun and i know it can be interpreted in uh, many different ways but i think that's also the beautiful thing about cinema yeah it's a mirror and we project our own world view and our own biases on it in a sometimes interesting way i i agree also um even when you watch the film several times and we watch the film several times you don't necessarily think the same thing from one time you watch it to another time exactly it, it's cinema is also it's it's external to you but it's also internal to how you feel and uh, and how you read the character and what's happening in your life at that, at that time and it's hard to find a perfect ending to a movie like this especially like because it's so 
it follows someone so closely that you 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 feel his emotion and but you translate the emotion in you too and and you and you want things to to be well but at the same time sometimes it makes it too easy and 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 finding the right balance into that world is is is, uh, is very tricky so i partly really really like the ending um thank you thank I just you very much discuss it a little bit <laughs> even so i didn't want you to tell me exactly what i should think right. Right. so do, do you really think that money or commercialization must destroy art I, I mean, I don't know about that, but you you know, uh, cinema is going through a similar phase, a similar phase of transition right now, uh, like classical music in that sense, because of course that's a much older art form and cinema is a much younger art form, but I keep feeling now like it saw its peak in the 20th century and now it's splintered into so many different uh, other mediums and the way people relate to the idea of story through images and through natives. It's been co-opted by memes and social media and mainstream news and video games and interactive films. I mean, there's just so much happening in the transmedia space as well. And also, I mean, now people are watching films on their mobile phones, on their tablets. I don't want to sound like a whiny old soul, but it is definitely going through a phase of transition. And I I don't know if it still occupies the same space in mainstream discourse and popular culture like it did, uh, you know, even a decade ago. Because there's just so much more that's happening and which is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just evolution. It's just how times change, how technology becomes the medium in many ways. But coming from India where there is no institutional funding for us, there are no studios that are backing independent voices uh, and where cinema is seen as such a popular massy commodity rather than an art form i will say yes uh, its status as uh, as an art form is in danger in a country like india for sure because just everybody's outlook towards films has changed quite drastically and that's got a lot to do with who's commissioning and producing what we now call content mm-hmm. yeah i i agree but i think cinema is still alive um, of course and it's not necessarily going to be destroyed by money because there's a lot of artists who believe in their vision uh, and they are keeping this um, close to their hearts, which I'm sure is difficult after when you make like three, five, four, you know, like more films and you realize that it's either financial success or artistic mm-hmm. success. And yeah. you be, some people manage to have both, but, you know, it's probably not very very common um, and I think you you will find the, the right path for in your career because I mean the movie is really really amazing so thank you thank you so much for saying that yeah um, that's all I want I think we have time to discuss today so I hope people mm-hmm. uh, will be able to watch and we watch the Dicey Paul uh, you're just at the beginning of the of the film's uh, festival career. Uh, so mm-hmm. you're probably going to have a lot more uh, festival Zooms and uh, maybe some uh, physical, because um, some countries have reopened. Uh, France has reopened cinemas, so it's so wow. kind of nice. Uh, New York, we're still waiting, but also it's exciting to be able to show the movie in a drive-in, which is uh, yeah. the most physical type of uh, screenings we can do for now so but yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's good so it was really great to talk with you about the film 
Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you. I hope we'll uh, meet in person um, sometimes. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thank you.